Junior Church, you may be dismissed. All right, it's a great privilege to be here today, again with, with all of you. Every week I get to be with you, and it's a great privilege of being with you. And once in a while, I do have the opportunity to come before you and uh, share the Word of God and share what God has been doing in my heart and in my life. I'm looking forward to being here and being able to share. Um, today I'm going to be talking about a topic that was kind of spurned as a result of a conference that I attended about a month, maybe a little more than that ago. Some of you know that we went to a conference that was down near Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, and coming to a conference is one thing, and listening to what is said is one thing, but being able to actually learn and then also teach others is really the, the point of going to a conference in the first place. If, uh, I was, it was a great time. Uh, my wife and I got fed, uh, both physically and spiritually. It was a great time. Um, uh, we got Chick-fil-A and Shady Maple, but also, even more importantly, we got to talk with many men of God and as they shared scripture with us. And so today, everything that we're going to talk about, you're looking at your, uh, uh, at your uh, outline that you have in your bulletin and you're thinking, thinking orange, where would he have come up with something like that? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, that's exactly what the conference was. It was called Orange Tour and it was teaching ministries, specifically small group leaders, but also just ministries in general, how to reach out in, uh, to the next generation that is coming behind us, the kids and teens that we see today, and how we can reach out to them. And their philosophy is called the orange philosophy, which is what we're going to talk about today. Before we get there, I want to discuss a problem that is facing the church today. You see, there's lots of, you know, the church is not perfect no church is. The church as a whole is not perfect. We have issues that we have to deal with. And there's a problem that is facing our church, not just our church specifically, although I think there is some of it here, but I think in a broader sense, the church in America specifically, but even the church in the world, is facing a problem. And what we're seeing is this. We're seeing that young adults are leaving the church and becoming disinterested in God and in the church itself. There's a disinterest that is being promoted that's happening we are seeing teenagers and young people who grow up even in the church. They can be in the church from the time they walked into the nursery all the way to the time they graduate high school. And yet for some reason we keep seeing young people walk away from the church doors, walk away from the body of Christ for many, many reasons. And we could go through all the reasons of why it might be, but that would take us a while and we've got a lot of other things to get to. But the point is we see that there is this, in a way, an exodus out of the church. Now, fortunately, some of those kids and teens and college students who leave the church do end up coming back at some point in their lives. But still, how do we reach out to that generation right now, today, first of all here at our church and also in a broader sense? How do we interact with them? Well, statistics tell us, now there's a lot of different studies. And I, you know what, statistics are great, but they're not hard truth. But it does give us an idea of a general idea of what we're looking at. Uh, a lot of different reports say a lot of different things, but really, after compiling all the results, about 60% to 80% of young people are leaving the church when they reach adulthood. In other words, at least 6 out of 10, and at most 8 out of 10, but I mean, that's, so we're looking 60 to 80% here, 
of young people who attend church on a regular basis will end up not attending when they become an adult. Now, like I said, statistics aren't hard, hard truth, but yet it does show us something that we need to be aware of, that we see our young generation not sticking with the people of God, not sticking with the body, but instead walking in their own direction and walking away. In fact, in 2009, only five years ago, uh, they did a poll, and about 17% of 18 to 30-year-olds doubted the existence of God. That's not too bad, really, 17%. Uh, today, five years later, this number has increased, almost doubled, to 32%. Almost one out of every three 18 to 30-year-olds doubts that God even exists. It's not even about church, it's also about God's existence itself. We have we have agnostics and atheists that are just on the rise. These, these churches, if you will, of atheism and agnosticism saying, we don't know if God exists, or even worse, we know God doesn't exist. We see it in our high schools. We see it in our campuses, our college campuses. We see it everywhere we look. So that's a 32% to say, I don't even know if God exists. Now here's another statistic found as they did a lot of research. Uh, and these things, this was actually shared with us at the conference we went to. 80% of the same group of 18 to 30-year-olds believe that church is not important for their life. Now, this is, all, this is including people who believe in God and even people who would say they're born-again Christians. But 80% say church is not something that's important to be in my life. 84%, and this is something that kind of saddens me because I like people, but 84% have stated on this survey that they would never want to spend time with a pastor one-on-one. Even in an informal setting, they wouldn't want to sit down for lunch, they wouldn't want to just talk at a basketball game, they wouldn't want to talk to a pastor because they felt that they were out of touch with life and society. So we see this as a trend, and I, again, I say, I point out all these statistics only to show a trend that young adults are not only leaving the church, but they're also questioning God's existence and questioning that church is even important in the first place. So what is the result of this problem that is now facing our church is this. Uh, I see that there are many, many people who are concerned about the future of the church. And what I mean by this is, almost everywhere you go, you'll hear this general sentiment. You'll hear, I don't know what's going to happen to our church or to the church, because I look at the younger generation and I don't see how this church can continue. It's kind of that idea. And you know, I don't think this idea is new. I think every generation looks at the generation behind it and says, well, what's wrong with them? Okay, that's pretty fair to say. I think that does happen. Uh, some of you in the generation above me probably look at me and say, what's wrong with him? You know, that's, that's cool. Um, uh, teenagers, I love you, but sometimes I look at the teenagers and think, what's wrong with them? Okay, I, I, I love them to death. But we always look and say, there's something that's got to be fixed almost. And so we're here today, and as a result, there are constant discussions revolving around what is wrong with the younger generation. You'll hear that over and over again. And I want to say today that although that is a good question to ask because we do see some problems as far as what's happening with our younger generation we need to be careful about placing blame on a younger generation. Instead, maybe it's time to look at ourselves and see how we can help the problem. You see, it's very easy to say what's wrong with the younger generation, but it's a lot harder to say what's wrong with our generation that we're not teaching the younger generation. So that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. is not about what's wrong with them, but instead what can we do to help them. And that's really where we're looking today as we go into th- about this idea of thinking orange. Now remember, I don't know who said this, I think it's a famous quote, or maybe I just heard it and thought it was really good, but uh, the idea here is, if you're just complaining, um, 
and not finding a solution, then you're just another part of the problem. And that's the, that's the concept that we're kind of coming with. If you're not doing anything to fix something you see wrong, then you indeed are part of the problem yourself. And I'll say that about myself as I look at things and sometimes I'll complain about things and say this should happen or this should happen and this is wrong. But yet if I'm not ready to say, well, I want to work towards a solution, then I'm just being another part of the problem. And I want to say today that many of us, unfortunately, maybe in our lives have been a part of the problem and not the solution. So let's take some time and look at what the solution for this problem could be. Now, I know this is a little clever, and like I said, I didn't come up with it myself, but it's this simple uh, formula, if you will, that the Orange Tour taught and teaches. It's a philosophy of ministry. They also have curriculum that comes out of it. But more importantly, philosophy is this. Orange equals this. So we got orange. Okay, I brought some nice physical props to keep you awake, maybe. Uh, we got orange. Okay, but how do we get orange? Well, you got red and yellow. They come together, they make orange. We've got signs. Wow, that's incredible. Yes, red. All right, so we've got red and we've got yellow. They come together to make orange. Okay, that's a pretty simple concept. Well, in our sense... Red is going to be representing the love of the family. So that's your first blank there. But the love of the family is what red represents. And then we have the light of the church. Love of the family, light of the church. And the point of it all is, is that we can blend the love of the family with the light of the church together to give us one unified vision, one unified purpose of orange. Living orange, thinking orange, thinking how we can get the family and the church to work together. Now I have a, Josiah just entered kindergarten, and I don't know if he knew this beforehand or if I, and I was just oblivious or what, but he starts going to art class, and I'll tell you what, he came home one day after art and he said, Daddy, did you know, did you know that like blue and red together make purple and red and yellow make orange? And I'm like, no, Joe, I didn't know that. That's awesome. You learned that. That's cool. So, but he was so excited because you know what he, you know what he saw? He saw, you know what? It can be fun to color in red, you know, and it's good to color in red. You can color in red. Coloring in yellow, even though sometimes it's hard to see. But, yeah, it's, you can color in yellow. That's fine. But, oh, it's really exciting if you can color in orange. And today I want to get an excitement today. I want us to be excited about the philosophy, the idea of living in orange, thinking orange, thinking how we can blend our love of our families with the light of the church and how we can come together so that we can see a difference, so that we can make an impact together in how the next generation views God and views the church. Let's begin by looking at the color red. Red, the family, is a primary influence to the next generation. We know that red and yellow are primary colors. You learned that also in art class. Joe was telling me all about that as well. I think I'm learning more from kindergarten than he is. Uh, but we know that there are three primary colors. And the first primary influence in the life of a young person, in the life of the next generation, is the family. Why do I say it's the first, and the, the first primary? Well, because they're born into it. Okay, not everybody's born into a church. Some people, you know, a week after they're born, they're here. Uh, but in most cases, your first people you meet are your family, and that makes sense. So we see uh, the family is a primary influence on the next generation. Now I'm going to be using some quotes as we go through today. And these quotes are, are quotes that came either from the conference or from a book that they gave us, um, which you'll see on the bottom of your outline, uh, is from uh, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. And that is a great book. I would recommend it highly. However, so some of these quotes are going to be coming from there. But the first quote we want to talk about is this. Parents, 
No one has more potential to influence your child than you. Now the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that you have the most ability? So I'm talking to parents here, but really in a general sense, it's parents, it's grandparents, it's aunts, it's uncles, it's anyone who has a relationship with somebody that is younger than them, but primarily parents. Do you realize that you have the most potential to influence the next generation? Why is that? Well, they did a study and they figured out about the average small group leader in a church gets about 40 hours a year with a young person. And maybe that's a little bit more in some cases, a little bit less, depending on how often the family attends and what, how many youth groups they're involved in or those type of things. But in general, a small group leader has about 40 hours of influence uh, in a year. Okay? You think, well, that's a good amount of influence. Well, compare that with 400 hours. 400 hours is how much time the average teenager plays video games. 40 hours for a small group leader, 400 for video games. Now, of course, not every kid plays 400 hours of video games. Not, you know, some only play 10. But you know what? For the ones that play 10, that means there's some that are playing 60 or 70. I don't know how that works. But um, in a year, uh, or 600 or 700. So 400. So you think, well, that's a lot. But you know what? A parent, and this is not including school time. This is not including time that they're sleeping. Uh, this is only including time that they would be awake and together the average time that a parent has to spend with their child in a year is 3,000 hours. 3,000 hours compared, remember, 400 on video games, but even smaller, 40 in a church setting with a small group leader. That is a huge difference. And as we look at that huge difference, it's important that we understand as parents that we are the first line into making an influence, making a difference on the next generation behind us because there are 3,000 hours a year that we can spend with our child, and we choose how to spend that, whether it's we're deciding that we're going to just put them in front of the TV, not to say that that never happens. I put my kids in front of a TV sometimes when I'm going crazy, and I get that. But the idea here is you choose how you're going to use those 3,000 hours, but you do have the most potential to influence your child. It's all about potential. So the question is, what are we called to influence our children towards? Uh, and this is the simple idea that the call of parenting is to point our children to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, in this passage, it's been read many times. You've probably read it before. You've probably heard it preached on Father's Day, maybe even Mother's Day. But this passage is something that I'm just going to draw one principle out of, and that is this, that the call of parenting is to point our children to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. In uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, after children are told to obey their parents, which children, if you're here, you need to obey, that's important. But then in verse 4 it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But then this is the key phrase. It says, But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. See, those three words, of the Lord, I think are primary. We need to see that our calling, our purpose in parenting is to bring them up in the Lord, to make them understand what a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. Now, you can't force that, but what you can do is constantly put it in front of their eyes. You can constantly be leading them to live for Jesus Christ in a and pursue a relationship with him. That is the call of parenting. That is the purpose. Now, unfortunately, and I'm not making any judgment calls on any of you necessarily, but there are a lot of parents out there that have this a little warped. See, a lot of parents view their purpose or their goal or their calling, if you will, 
as protecting their child or even more specifically protecting them to the point of making them happy. You see this all through society. It's not hard to see. Every single toy ad knows exactly how to target the parent. If you want your child to be happy, if you want them to, to know that this life is good for them, you need to get them this kind of toy. We're also told time and time again that we need to be there for our, our kids and protect them from everything that life can offer. And if we don't protect them, then we're not doing our, our job because they won't be happy. See, protection and happiness is not the ultimate purpose that God has called us to or to our children. Now, in following Jesus Christ, is there joy? Well, of course. Is there protection in the sense that we are protected by God the Father? Of course. But yet, that is not the main purpose of parenting. And I think we miss that so often. Another, uh, another research study they did from Lifeway Research uh, tells us this. The most common definitions of successful parenting, these are what they came up with. Children having good values, 25%. Children ending up becoming happy adults, 25%. Children finding success in life at 22%. Having... Being a good person is at 19%. Graduating from college is at 17%. And living independently is 15%. Notice in all of these, there's no being godly or having faith in God. But that was mentioned, but it was mentioned only 9% of the time. 9 out of 100. 9 out of 100 parents say that the most important thing, what they would want to see a successful parenting process, only 9% said that, that would be that their child would be following God that their child would have faith in Jesus Christ. That is a sad, sad thing to look at. Now, these are not all Christians that were polled, but the idea still remains. Parenting today has taken on this idea that I'm going to do whatever I can for my kid because I love them so much that I want them to be protected and I want them to be happy. But you know what? Following Jesus isn't always a safe thing. Following Jesus sometimes means hardship and sometimes even means heartbreak in life. But yet we are called to show our kids a relationship with Jesus Christ, not anything else. God's call is to bring children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's remember those three words as we parent, that we parent our kids in the Lord. Let's move on and see. The question is then, how do we do it? How do we bring our kids up in the Lord? Well, the first thing is by teaching intentionally. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Teaching intentionally is so important to our kids' development as far as knowing Jesus and knowing God. Now, Deuteronomy 6 is the chief passage that the Orange Ministry uses when they talk about how the church and parents need to come together to teach their kids the truth of God's Word. But we are in chapter 6, and actually I'm going to start in verse 4, just to give us a little bit of context. This is Moses talking to the people of Israel, and this is his last hurrah before he leaves he knows he's going to be passing away soon and he wants to leave israel with some final words and that's what deuteronomy is all about and here in chapter 6 and verse 4 he says this hero israel the lord is god the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might these words which i am commanding to you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 here uh, is 
commonly called the Shema, which is recited daily by those of the Jewish faith because they understand how important it is to remember these things, that God is God, he is one, and then they need to pass these on to their children. So, how do we do this? How do we have a calling? How do we bring kids up in the admonition of the Lord? Well, by teaching intentionally. What are some ways we can do this? Well, family devotions. You hear that word used a lot, family devotions, family devotions. I'm not going to tell you that you have to have a certain time every day that you have to do family devotions or your family's not a spiritual family. I know life happens. I know life gets busy. I know things are hard. But do you have a general sense of the fact that you come together as a family and you study God's word together? Like I said, it doesn't necessarily have to be daily. Maybe it's weekly for you. Maybe that's what works for your family. I don't want it to be about a legalistic thing. You have to do family devotions at such and such a time on such and such a day. But do you take time to really go through the word of God and teach your kids what it means to follow him? That is a question all of us need to ask. And kids, if you're here, are you... Uh, listening to your parents when they try to do that? Or are you trying to find other ways so you don't have to do family devotions? You see, it's got to be a two-way street. If parents are desiring to teach children, the children also need to listen. So that's the first way. Another way is simple. It's informal teaching opportunities. All of us have had these times where we're going through life and we realize something hits us right in the face and we say, look, okay, this is obvious. I can teach my kids something about the love of God here. I can teach my child something about the justice of God. I can teach my child about this or that. Because things come up. Maybe it's a conversation around the dinner table. You know, talking about here in Deuteronomy, it says when you sit, uh, when, you, when you walk, everywhere you go, always looking for an opportunity. Maybe it's the dinner table. Maybe it's while you're driving to the, to the store. Maybe it's when they come home from school and they tell you something and you're able to talk with them about it. Uh, maybe it's something very, very simple. Or maybe it's something that's pretty complex. But there are always opportunities that you can use as informal opportunities to speak into a child's life about the truth of God and the truth of his word. So look for those. And finally, physical reminders. Now, I'm not here to brag about my wife in any sense. One day I came home from work, and I didn't even know she was doing it, but all of a sudden I come home from work and there's these pieces of construction paper all over the house that have Bible verses on it. And I had never had that growing up, so I was kind of like, what's going on here? And she said, well, you know, I just thought it would bring, the, you know, bring the, the attitude up in the house and that we'd have something to always be looking at. And to be honest with you, I still see those. And now that they're faded and, and some of them have been ripped by children and there's like grease stains on them and stuff, but yet still when I come home and I walk up the stairs, I see those signs. And I remember that this life is about following Christ. And I hope my kids will think the same thing. They can't read yet, obviously. But those, that's just one simple, you know, simple thing to do. Maybe there's something else you can do that you put it in front of your children constantly of who God is. You put it constantly in front of your children about what they can learn about God in whatever way that might be for you. So those are some just different suggestions I might have. The next thing, and I think this is uh, honestly, and teaching is vitally important, but I think this next point is probably just as if not more important, and that is by living intentionally. See, we first of all teach intentionally. We take moments to teach but we also need to live intentionally. And what I mean by this? Well, Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says this. These words, remember what Moses had just said, the Lord is one, the Lord, uh, and you shall love the Lord your God. It says, these words in verse 6, which I am commanding you today, shall be in your heart. Before, before Moses tells the people to teach their kids God's ways, he says they need to be in your heart first. So we need to live intentionally. A quote that came from the conference that I will remember forever. It was, it was his, this guy, he wasn't even talking about the subject necessarily on how to parent, but 
somebody asked a question and he said, you know what, I give, the best advice I give to parents is one thing. I just give one statement and that is the best advice I can give. I don't try to go any, into deep things or, or go through a study with them. I tell them one simple statement and that is this. He said, if you want to be a good parent, be the person you want your child to become. And I thought, wow, that's so simple. But yet it can be so profound. Just think about that. Your goal in parenting to bring kids up in the Lord, remember, be the person you want your child to become. Be the father you want them to become. Be the husband you want them to become. Be the person in general. Be the worker you want your children to become. Be the church member you want your children to become. Be the Jesus follower that you want your children to become. These are things that you can look at. Quote out of the book says this, Your kids already have a front row seat in your life. The question is, what are they watching? You need to ask yourself that question. Your kids already have a front seat in your life. You, you can't put them in the back and say, you can't look at me anymore. Your children see, and you know what? They see a lot more than anybody else. And a lot of times, they see behind the surface, too. You might put on a good face in some places, but your kids know you. They see you. They're watching you. They're in a front row seat to your life. Ask yourself what they are watching. It's a truth that will never change. Kids need to see parents and other adults in their lives have a real commitment to growth before they will care about their own. And I think kids, you'd probably, children, teens, you'd probably agree with this. You don't want to follow somebody who's not living it for themselves. The point is here that kids need to see adults that are willing to pursue their own spiritual growth before they are willing to pursue their own. That's something we need to understand. The simple thing here is this. Your priorities will become the priorities of those behind you. You see, you've got kids watching and your priorities will end up being their priorities. It's that simple. And I know this is a little scary and I'm not asking for perfection. Nobody's perfect by any means. I know I'm not and I know you aren't and we aren't. We are all sinners. We all struggle. But yet what I am calling for is integrity. Perfection means we never do anything wrong. Integrity means even when we do something wrong, we admit it and we move on from it. That is integrity. Our kids can see that. They're not, they're not looking for us to be perfect. They're looking for us to have integrity. But what are your priorities? These are things to ask. If you want your children to value marriage, then be the loving spouse that God has called you to be. If you want them to value honesty, don't be a hypocrite in the way you live. If you want them to value stewardship, then let them see you give generously. If you want them to value love, serve others sacrificially. If you want them to value respecting others, then treat others honorably and fairly. If you want them to value work, then don't be lazy. If you want them to value a relationship with God, pursue Him. Pursue God and your children will watch that. Real quick, I've shared this story before. When I came to Candidate, one of the greatest influences in my life was my dad. You know what? My dad doesn't say much. He's a, he's a great man, but he's pretty quiet. And he didn't say much to me. He didn't sit me down and teach me God's word every day. But you know what he did do? He did his own devotions each and every day. He got in the word of God and he prayed for me. And when I got up every morning, I knew that my dad had been up an hour before me. His Bible was still open on the table and I knew what he had been doing. He had been reading God's word. He had been praying for his family. That made a huge difference in my life. My dad never came and said, you know, you really need to do your devotions. You really need to have a good prayer life. And this is why. Maybe he should have done that too, I don't know. But the point is, what I learned from watching what he did was greater than what he could have told me. That is important to pursue a relationship with God. So all these things, your priorities will be the priorities of those going behind you. 
Finally, if you want them to value God's people, you must be faithful to the church. If you want them to value God's people, you need to teach them faithfulness to church. That brings us to our next point. That brings us now from red, the love of the family, to yellow, the light of the church. We're going to look at the other. This is another primary influence in the next generation. It's a primary influence that will affect what's going on in the future. The church is a primary influence on the next generation. Another quote then that follows the one, remember before we saw that no one has more potential to influence your child than you. The next quote is this, Parents, you are not the only person that your child needs. You are not the only influence. You are not the only person that your child needs. One of the most important things that you can do as a parent, if you want to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, one of the most important things you can do is connect your kids to the body of Christ. If you connect your kids to the body of Christ, it's another way that they can be understanding God's word. Remember earlier I said you have 3,000 hours, but let's not neglect the 40 hours because those 40 hours can have some great ministry in it. So allow your children also to be built in by the church, by small group leaders, by a children's ministry, by those things. You see, when I first developed a passion, if you will, for family ministry, when I first came to you guys and started candidating, I remember I, I did a Sunday school downstairs and a lot of the same idea. I said a lot of things. And you're probably thinking, why does this guy keep saying the same thing? Well, it's a passion and it's something I think we always need to remember. But also, God has kind of grown me in what I'm seeing and what he has for us. See, when I came in, I said family ministry is so important. But you know what I did? I think I started shading my life a little bit too red. And I started to take away a little bit of the yellow. And what should have been orange was really becoming more of a a red-orange if not all the way red. Because I started saying, do family devotions and be with your family and reach out to your family and put your family above all else. And all those are good things, don't get me wrong. But if you neglect the yellow, if you neglect the church, then I think we're making a huge mistake in the next generation. I think we're making a huge mistake if we only focus on the red. If we only focus on the family, we're going to lose out. Because the church, God has instituted it. Jesus Christ himself instituted the church. And he says it's important. And so therefore, we need to bring family and we need to bring church together. Church is just as important. It is another primary influence. So you need to connect your kids to other godly people. That will bring a greater influence. This is an important concept to understand. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see this, this idea. Influence happens in the context of community. Influence happens in the context of community. Deuteronomy 6.4 And this is where Moses starts. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now notice, Moses doesn't say, Hear, O family, or hear, O certain so-and-so. He says, Hear, O Israel. See, Moses is talking to the community of Israel. He's talking to the people. And then he says, Teach your children. And he says, uh, Do all these things and put them on the doorpost and make all these things. But first he says, hero Israel. Remember who he's talking to. He's not talking to just one specific family. He's talking to the nation of Israel, a community. He's saying, as a community, you need to come together and you need to teach these to your children. Now, where do we find community today? Godly community. It's not in our nation. Um, Certainly not. We don't find godly community out there. Our nation all around us, what we see is corruption and sin. And and those things, we need to uh, be a light in that. But yet, at the same time, We need to understand that where we can live in community is here in the church. It's here in our local church. 
It's here with other believers that we come in contact with. You see, it's important that we realize that influence will happen best in the context of community. Moses understood that this whole thing about teaching the next generation and preserving the next generation was a community project, not just done by solo individuals and not just done by solo families. So, I have a a lengthy quote from Lifeway Research about what they found as they looked at the ideas that we're presenting of how important church really can be. It says this, Teens teens who had at least one adult from church make a significant time investment in their lives were more likely to keep attending church. More of those who stayed in church, by a margin of 46% to 28%, said this. The Bible teaches that older women should mentor and invest their lives in younger women. Clearly, this holds true for both the sexes. While adults pour their lives into, when adults pour their lives into young adults, both are better for it. He says this, Meaningful relationships with adults at church helps teenagers see church as a place that they belong. Investment time in young, people, young people's lives out of the love of Jesus Christ in a tangible, is, is a tangible way to show God to them. It proves that a young person belongs at church. It can help connect the dots to make a teen integrate their faith into their life. And it gives the teen a connection to church after graduation when many of their peers are no longer around. Anybody wondering if they can make a difference can stop wondering. One Sunday school teacher, one chaperone, one discussion leader, one person at church who clearly cares can impact the course of a teen's spiritual journey. Church is important, and it's not just about coming to the building. It's about being with the people of God. The people of God can help influence the next generation. So I'd encourage you as parents, don't keep your kids from church. Don't give them a reason not to come. Make sure they're here because it's an opportunity that we can build into your child and that you can build into my child. It's a great opportunity for us to work together as a community to raise kids in the next generation to know God and know Him better. Community, in essence, needs to be a priority. Community needs to be a priority. That's what we're looking at. We see this quote, and what it tells us is community is a priority. It needs to be a priority in our lives and in the lives of the next generation. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, once again, another passage I know you're familiar with, most of you. But I think sometimes we can get familiar with a passage and we sometimes read it and don't really think about what it's saying or we don't think it applies to us or we just kind of read it over and not even realize that we're, uh, God is speaking to us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and many times you'll hear this passage used as somebody's trying to get maybe church attendance to go up maybe. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, we see this. Let us consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 10.24 Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I read that twice because it's important we understand that God's design for us is not to be alone. There's a song out there by 10th Avenue North. Maybe you've heard it, No Man is an Island. It's that idea. We are not an island. We need to come together. We need to be a community. It needs to be a priority. This passage tells us we need to be about considering one another, assembling together, exhorting or encouraging one another. 
This is not just a suggestion. This is an expectation. It is a, it is a priority to be in church. So my question to you today, is it a priority to you to be here with the body of Christ? Is it a priority of yours? Because if it's not a priority of yours, parents, it's not going to be a priority of the child, of the children, of the next generation. If they look up and see a parents in an older generation that says, you know what, church is there, but it's not a priority, they're going to come away with the same exact thoughts. So we need to make sure that we are making God's people a priority in the kids of our lives. And remember, I'm not talking about making sure that they're in here every time the doors open. It's not about the building. It's about investing in the lives of people. And that's exactly what our next point here is. See, we're not just talking about attendance. We're talking about involvement. Not just attendance, but involvement. It is important to attend on Sundays, of course, and it's important to attend when you can, but it's not about attendance. It's not about just being here. Anybody can come and stand, you know, the, the age-old, you know, they say if you can stand, you can stand in a garage all day, but you won't become a car. Same idea here. You can, st- you can come to church. That doesn't mean that you're being involved in the church. It doesn't mean that you're being a part of the church. See, we are called to be the church, not just come to church. And that's really what we're talking about. We're called to be involved. Remember the verse we just said that we need to be stirring one another up to good works. Are we stirring one another up to do good works? Are we being involved? Are we being involved with one another so that we can do great things, so that we can see God work? Are you really involved, or are you just a casual spectator? These are things to question and ask and answer. Because if we are a spectator and we are not involved, then our kids won't get involved either. either. These are important things that we need to understand. Uh, research has shown, once again, that it is, and this is a quote, it is difficult to underestimate the impact of a solid family involved in the faith community on the future involvement of teens. Time and time again, this is what they come up with. They keep seeing that if teens are involved with people in the church on a regular basis, that they will continue in their faith more often than not. Once again, statistics, not truth, but yet it does point to a truth that we can look at. But it's not only just not about attendance, but involvement. It's also not about regulations, but it's about relationship. It's not about regulation, it's about relationship. See, although in some ways fellowship with other believers is a regulation in the sense that God has asked us to do it, so therefore it's kind of a rule in the sense that we should be here, but it's more than that. God sees church not just, oh, please come through the doors, you have to do it, or you're not pleasing me. See, this isn't about legalism. It's not about saying every time the doors are open, you need to be here, and you need to be here the last one to leave and the first person to be here. If you want to be, that's great, but you don't have to be. This is not about legalism. It's not about regulation. It's not saying you are required to be here but what it's about is relationships we are told in hebrews chapter 10 we are to stir up love we are to stir up love one of the reasons we get together is to encourage one another and stir up love so it's about relationships you see i see a problem in today's church of people who don't understand what the church is all about they think they're just coming to get a sermon they think they're just learning they think maybe they'll sing a couple good songs and then they'll get out as soon as they can because the buffalo bills are playing and honestly i love the buffalo bills but i take my games but the point is, the point is, if I didn't have a DVR, I'd still be here, okay? We need to make sure that we are creating this idea of a priority that we are here for the people. We are here to see people. We are here to love people. We are here to be loved. It's not just about what we can get. It's not just about what we can hear. It's not just about what we sing. It's about who we can talk to. It's about who we can be with. It's about how we can connect with one another. And if we lose that, then we're losing the heartbeat of God. We're losing the heartbeat of the church, what it's meant to be. We are called to be a body of believers, not just a building that comes together and, and has fun together. That's good too. But, and it's not just about Sunday mornings. 
As we talk about relationships, you build relationships in a more context than just here on a Sunday morning. Here we have a lot of opportunities. We have home groups. We have a young mom's group. We have uh, men's prayer. Uh, we have Sunday school. We have, obviously, the service. We have a kids' program. We have a teen program. We even have a college program. We've got a lot of programs, but you know what? It's not about the program. It's about getting together with other people. So I would, say, I would encourage you, especially as we think about the next generation, First of all, next generation, it is important to be at church. The Bible tells us it's important, and it's important to be in relationships with other people. But parents and other adults and the older generation, my call for you and for me is that we will show the next generation that it is important to care about the people of God, that it is important to be with the body of Christ. Like I said, it's not about you have to be or you're not pleasing. It's really not about you have to go to church. It's really about you get to go to church. It's about you get to be with other believers. It's a privilege. It's not something that we should look at as a chore. That all being said, going back to the idea of priorities, we need to have a priority of church. Now, I'm going to embarrass somebody right now, and I apologize ahead of time. I was going to talk to him before, and I didn't get a chance to. But you guys need to know what's going on with our leadership here at our church. Uh, last meeting, you know, we've been talking a little bit about, you know, how is it, how are people feeling about our church? Like, do they want to be here or not? And uh, one of our elders, Steve Rack, he said, he said this, and he would never share this himself, and I know he's going to be embarrassed, and I'm sorry, Steve. <laughs> but he said this. He said, last Sunday, you see, they weren't at Sunday school, and I noticed that, and I thought, well, that's kind of weird, okay? Last week, they had a vehicle breakdown on their way to church. It was like right down the road or something like that from their house. But Steve and Mary decided, you know, but it's important for us to go to church. So you know what? We're going to go back and we're going to get another vehicle and we're going to make a way so that we can get to church. Even though anybody, you know, it would have been a valid excuse, if you will. You know, I'm sorry I didn't come to church. A car broke down. Hey, that's easy to say. And nobody would have been like, oh, you heathen. No, nobody would have done that. I mean, well, maybe a few of you would, but it would only be in jest. Right, so, um, but the point is, what does that show us? It shows us that our leadership values... Being here, being with you, being with people. And you know what else? They had a van full of kids who are watching their dad and their mom say, it's important to be here. It's important to be with God's people. I just share that story to let you know that we have good examples that we need to follow. And he is one and all our elders are great. I'm not going to share a story about all of them. I would like to because I like to embarrass people. But I won't do it. (laughs) But we have a group here that love you, love one another, And my encouragement to each and every one of us is that we look at God's people as an important part of our life so that when we prioritize it, so will the generation behind us. Here's the key. Once again, I know I go back to a lot of research, but there is a lot on this. They did three studies at Lifeway, the formerly church switchers and the teenage dropout study. One thing became abundantly clear, stated Brad Wagner, vice president of the research and development at Lifeway. Relationships are always the glue that keeps people in church or serves as the attraction to begin attending again following a period of absenteeism. Many people are deeply influenced by their relationships with their friends and their loved ones. So where do we go with this? We need to have relationships with one another. We need to prioritize those relationships. And I hope that means that we will see more people come to the things that we offer. It doesn't mean you have to go to, uh, you know, we have a home group Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and so it doesn't mean you have to come Sunday morning for Sunday school, Sunday morning for service, Sunday night for Olympians, and then you need to go to Tuesday night's home group at Bill's, and then you need to go to Wednesday nights at the church, and then you need to go to Thursdays at the Lasnik's. No, it doesn't mean you have to, and then, you know, to find every other opportunity you can to be here. Now, if you want to, that's great. You could do that. 
But the point is, it's not about how often, it's not even about making sure that you have to be here every time you possibly can, because I know life comes up. Things happen. I understand that. But is it your priority? Is it your heart's priority to be with the people of God? That's the question we've got to ask. Is it our heart's priority? So in reality, we see that relationships are a key to thinking orange, really is what we're looking at. Relationships are a key to thinking orange, as we will see right now. As we come to it, as we're closing here, and some closing thoughts as we go through how then we can merge the love of the family and the light of the church as we've been talking about. We talked about how important family is and how important it is to be teaching your kids in a family context. We talked about how important it is to get them involved in the church so that they can, be, they can grow and have influence from other people. Well, now it's time to talk about how we can take those colors and combine them together to make it orange. You see, because we can have great family ministry and we can even have it involved in the church, but if they're still functioning on two separate levels, we're missing something. You understand? I mean, you can, we can have a great church and you can have a great family and they can be going in the right direction, both of them. But you know what? They're not together. And we have so much power if we can have them together going in the same direction. And that's what we want to look at. These, influence, these influences, both the red and the yellow, must combine to influence the next generation. We need to combine the family with the church to influence the next generation. Uh, This quote is this. When you think orange, you will see two combined influence make a greater impact than just two influences. Two standing together, combining together, can make a whole lot more of an impact than trying to do one or the other and trying to work and be separate. Because when we work together, we can see what God truly wants, and that is a community that starts at home but also extends to the church. The church, and this is, this is the key I want to say, is this. The church should not only be connect to families. That's important. We need to make sure we connect to families. We've got a family Sunday school class. We give out family devotionals. We try to get parents involved in our kids' ministries. And that's great. That's all good stuff. That's something we're called to do. But it's not just that we should connect to families, but actually we should be family. As we're orange, this is what I want to say. And this isn't even really what orange philosophy would say. This is kind of my own spin on it. But orange is about not only coming together it's about being one it's about being the family you see here at church we have the opportunity to be a family we can be a true family now not in a physical sense obviously but in a spiritual sense we have this Um, in fact you'll see in your next uh, space here familial love I think that's how you say it, say it, familial I don't, whatever you know family love, family love is the call of the church uh, we see several passages here, right? We're already in Hebrews. Let's look at that one. In Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, 13, you know, thanks for watching out for me. At least you're paying attention. I appreciate that. Uh, Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13 says, let brotherly love continue. 13 verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. If you move over to Romans chapter 12, We also see this here. Romans chapter 12. As we're talking about becoming the family. Romans chapter 12 verse 10. And says this. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Giving preference to one another in honor. Another translation actually says that is. uh, Be devoted to one another in the love of a family. That's the idea that we're facing here. And then finally, 1 Thessalonians, if you don't think that those two passages can show us enough, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, it says this, Now as to the love 
as to your brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. This idea of brotherly love comes up time and time again throughout Scripture. These are just three times that we see it as brotherly love. And this brotherly love that's being talked about is the love of a family. That I see you as my brothers and sisters, that you see me as your brother, and together we are a family. This isn't just about uh, being having my family and then going to church. No, it's about having my family, yes, but then incorporating it into a larger family. You see, we're all family with one another. So the question we've got to ask ourselves is this. How can we as a church become more of a family? Think it through. There's lots of options. We need to be there for one another. Maybe, maybe it's to share life experiences. These are just a couple suggestions. Share life experiences. Okay, so if you're in a family, let's say you have a, a child, a grandchild, a niece, nephew, and let's say that they're, uh, they're in a production at the school or they're in a production at the Norris's house, you know, whatever, uh, and uh, uh, they're... And they are doing this, it's important to them. If you are a family member of them, odds are, if you can be, you're going to be there. Maybe it's an important sports game. Maybe it's an important uh, uh, thing that they're experiencing at school, whatever it might be. Family usually wants to be there to celebrate life's moments with one another. Can, can you agree with that for the most part? I would encourage you as a church that maybe we need to even broaden that. It's not just about our family, but maybe when you hear about the child who is having a big soccer game or is going to be in a performance or it really could use some support that we show up and we help out and we say, hey, we're here for you. We're here to watch you. We're here to support you. We love you. It's simple. It's super simple. But maybe if more of us did that, I'll tell you what. I mean, I don't want to give away my secrets or anything, but I'll tell you this. I see I can make more of an impact in the life of a teenager by caring about what they do than trying to teach them on Sunday nights. In other words, when I go to their soccer games and when I go to their concert and I say afterwards, you guys did a great job, or I'm really sorry you lost, uh, I, I see, or, or won, or won, I'm glad you, I'm glad you won. <laughs> sorry, I've had a lot of experience with losing. I don't mean that in, in a bad way. And, and teens, I don't want you to think that I'm doing that just because I want to, you know, make you feel good about yourself or I want you to like me better. The truth is I want to be there because I love you. I, I, I really do mean that. But the truth, truth is, why don't more of us do that? Why don't more of us come out and experience life together? That's an, op- that's an opportunity to be family. Uh, another thing we can do, help when help is needed. Uh, there's a simple illustration I'm going to give real quick of this. And uh, I was, we were talking about this. We were talking about dishes to share. We were talking about our after-church dinners, which is primarily for what? Fellowship. I mean food, but fellowship. We're there to talk with one another, to connect with one another, to be in fellowship with one another. But you know the one group of people who doesn't come to most dishes to share? Somebody can yell it out. Young families. You know why that is? Most of you have had kids, so maybe you do. It's hard. Okay, I mean, I can, I, can, I can admit it. It is hard. It's hard to come after church after your kids are exhausted because the children's leaders gave them too much sugar and ran them around. I love the children's leaders. I love you all. But the point is, your kids are tired. They're, they don't necessarily want to be here in some cases. Or, and you know what? It's hard for a family to come in with young kids and try to feed them when their kids are tired and ready to leave. And yet, it's important for them to be there. We would all say that. Once again, if you're a young family, I'm not telling you you have to be there or we're going to look down on you and judge you, but we want you to be there. I want to be there as a young family, and I want other young families to join us. So it's not just, forgive the expression, the older people coming together, but it's the whole family coming together. 
So how can we do that? Well, maybe it takes you coming alongside of a young family and saying, you know what, I see you've got a couple young kids and, you know, how would I take one of them and go through the line with them for you? Why don't you get your food and I'll take care of them? You know, we see that happening when there's real family. You know, for those of you here who have young families that have grandparents that also come to this church, you know, the grandparents a lot of times will help the young families. And that's great. Awesome. But you know what? Sometimes maybe that's you that can do that for another family that you're not actually related to by blood because you love them enough to see how you can help. That's just an example. When people need help, are we there for them? There's lots of other opportunities that we have. Servants' Hearts is a great opportunity. There's lots of ways that you can help others who need help. That's what family does. Maybe be the family that someone else needs. Maybe there's someone here that doesn't have a family at home, a blood family, or they have a family, but it's not a family that loves God. It's not a family that's following after God. It's not a family that maybe even cares about that person. It's our job as the church to be the family that they need. So find ways to do that. Find ways to show love and be the family that they need. Finally, just truly care for others. I want you to look to your left, look to your right, and just think to yourself, do I truly love this person that's next to me? Do I truly love them to the point where I would do anything for them, that I would put my needs second and put theirs first. Now, some of you are saying, I don't even know who that person's name is. Well, hey, take the time today to find out what their name is, okay? That'll be a great opportunity for you to start to show love. Look, look around, and do you love anyone here? Do you truly love people? Because if you do, you're going to want to be with them. You see, church can't make an influence if we're not here. That's kind of the concept that we're looking at here. We need to be a family, and because a family is where people want to be. And finally, I want to say this. Don't separate family life and church life. Don't separate family life and church life. Allow family and church to do life together. In other words, let's not compete, but let's cooperate. Let's not compete, but let's cooperate. What do I mean by this? It's pretty simple. One of the age-old excuses, I say this as an excuse, and that might offend some. One of the age-old excuses is, I'm not going to come to church because that's our family time. Or that's our family night. You know what? I think it's great to have family nights. I think it's great to build into your family. I think you should play games with your family. I think you should love your family. I think you should read with your family. I think you should watch movies as a family. All those things as long as they're the right movies. I think you should do all those things together. That's great. But if it's always at the expense of going to church because it's family time, why don't we start viewing church as family time? You know what I mean? Like we come together. I'm not saying it's easy sometimes. Guys, I understand. Like I said, I've got young kids and it's hard and I'm not always going to be here for everything and my wife isn't always going to be here for everything. But you know what? Our heart is to be with you because we love you and I hope the same as that's coming back. We love one another as a family. That's what we should be going towards. And what's that going to mean? Well, it's going to mean, you know what? Family becomes most important. Our family becomes an important aspect. I know I'm already out of time. I'm getting... No, we still need to do communion, and I, I look forward to that. I just want to say a few last things. This is kind of extra stuff, free stuff. Um, <laughs> so we've talked a lot about church being a priority. We've talked a whole lot about how you can influence your children, influence the next generation. I would encourage you to stop making excuses for not being with the family of God. I don't want to say this to hurt anybody's feelings or to judge you in any way, shape, or form, because I have made mistakes in my life and very similar mistakes. There was a time in my life I wasn't pastoring the church. You know what? It became something that was a burden. I came once in a while because I knew it was the thing I had to do. But if I could find anything else that I could do, if I could, fi- if I could find a shift at work, I'd work. If uh, there was something I could do with my wife because we didn't have kids yet and we could go out and do something on a Sunday, I would do that instead. 
I would always be trying to find a way that somehow I wouldn't have to go to church and not feel guilty about it. I would encourage you not to do that because I'll tell you what, that, those three, four, five months of my life were some of the worst times of my life in the sense that I felt no purpose, no direction. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing. I was confused. I was angry at times. I was, you could say I was depressed. I, wouldn't, I, I wasn't like super depressed crying all the time. But man, life did not feel right. It just wasn't right because I wasn't with the family of God. I wasn't with a family. I wasn't building into people and people weren't building into me. I don't want you guys to make the same mistake. There are so many things in this world that are trying to get our attention. And I'm going to say some things. And like I said, these aren't pointing fingers at anybody. But when we make sports more important than being with the family of God, we are communicating something to our children. We are communicating to them that, you know what, the times that you play sports are more important than the time that you're with the people of God. When we say, you know what, and this one's, please don't, don't stone me, okay? But this one, this one is close to my heart. Because I see it happening all the time and I see people getting hurt by it. Well, you know what, Sunday mornings I have to work. And I have to work during home group and I have to work then and now because I need to get as many shifts as I can get. Now listen, I know people need to work, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you should never miss church for work. But here's what I do know. When I grew up, my parents did teach me one thing, and that was this. If you're going to work or you're going to play sports or you're going to do anything, the first thing you're going to tell your coach or the first thing you're going to tell your, your boss is that unless it is absolutely necessary, I will not miss church to do these things. And I even had a coach tell me when it goes back to sports because I told him, you know, I'm not going to come on Wednesday nights because that's youth group. I'm not going to come to practices on Wednesday nights because that's youth group. You know what my coach told me? He wasn't a Christian. He looked at me and he said, you know what? That's cool. I respect your conviction, but you know what? If you're not going to come for practice, don't come for games either. And I realized, wow, even a non-Christian understands that a priority means a priority. Like I said, does that mean that you're never, ever going to miss because of something? No. It's not like every week you miss. There's a, it's not like the, every elders meeting is talking about everybody who's missed and how bad they are. It's not it at all. But we got sports, we got work. Once again, with work, I'm not saying, I know money's important, you need to survive on it. And maybe some of you have to work on Sundays, and I understand that. And I'm not trying to be a legalist about it. But some of you don't need to work on Sundays. You choose to work on Sundays because it gets you more money, or it gets you away from church, possibly. Whatever it might be. You see, being with the people of God is more important than money. If it means that your tithe goes down, we'd rather have you here than have your money here. I promise. We want you here. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's work, maybe it's sports, maybe it's family time. Uh, maybe it's just, you know what, it's too hard. I have a long week and I need my rest. Rest is important. But so is being with the body of Christ. It's more important than resting. It's more important than sleeping all day. I promise. So my plea to all of you is make sure that your priority is God's people. When all that talk, said and done, we're talking about orange. Your family. This final quote that's on your thing. God never intended life to be lived in isolation, and what's true of individuals is also true of families. We have been called to live as part of a much wider circle and God-engineered community. You see, if we only concentrate on our family and we neglect the church, we're making a mistake. If we only concentrate on the church but yet neglect the family and we expect the church to do all the work, that's not going to work either. 
We need to be orange. We need to be a family. Come together. Be a family. Love one another. Influence one another. And I do believe with my whole heart that if we as a church and the church in general comes together and people of the church become a family and teach kids what it means to be part of the family of God, that we will see less and less young people leaving our church because they know they're cared for and that they're loved. They might still face questions. They might not understand everything all the time. But you know what? They'll know that they are loved by someone who loves God and they can follow that and watch that in their lives. So I would encourage you as a church and me and all of us as a church to do better about being family. I would encourage you if you haven't been making this a priority to make it a priority. And like I said, it's all about relationships. It's about wanting to be with one another because I miss out when you're not here. You understand that? It's not about, oh, I can't believe you're not here because you're not pleasing God. No, I'm missing out when you're not here because I don't get to talk to you. I don't get to see you. I don't get to love you. You don't get to love me back. We, we all miss out when our body is not together. So in all that I've said, I know I've kind of scatterbrained a little bit. I'm sorry about that. But I've got a lot of stuff I want to... Hey, I get to preach like four times a year, if I'm lucky. And I just want to get everything out there, okay? So that's where we're at. Love you, John. I, and I love the opportunity. Thank you. So I'm going to get as much as I can in. But anyway, so with all that being said, guys, I want to encourage you. Scripture, I think, is plain to show us that we need to be teaching our kids as families. We need to be teaching our kids as the church. We need to come together. We need to make it a priority in our lives. And when we do that, I do believe we will see change because God will change the hearts of kids as they look and see that he is making a change in our lives first. Make sure that we think orange. I'd love to talk to you guys about it more, but time is up. So if you want to talk to me after, I'd love to. Thank you. Um, And Pastor John's going to come up and we'll... Partake in communion, which is an opportunity we have as a family to come together. Thank you.